0: In today's episode, I am joined once again by Kyle Spackman, and today we are keeping it chill. We're just talking about six games, six games we've been playing recently, most of which we highly recommend, and most of them are widely available. These games are Lost Legacy, Winner's Circle, Cascadia, Spirium, My City, and Parade. My name is Nick Murray, and this is the Bytewing Games Podcast. We did it. We uh, we finished the Reiner Konietzka Criminal Capers collection Kickstarter campaign on September second. How are you feeling about that? I feel
1: both excited and like I can't quite get enough sleep to catch up on like <laughs> how I feel. And it wasn't even because like it wasn't as like busy, but it's just emotionally draining. Where like. I was like, I'm just going to look tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about what the funding is today. <laughs> 30 minutes later, I'm looking. 30 minutes yeah. later, I'm looking. I'm like, stop looking. Just let it go. So I am very relieved, very ecstatic, and very tired. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an exhausting journey. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was fun to, like, those first few days just to see that huge splurge of support. And then from there, I mean, as a, as a brand-new publisher, we're still trying to gather Attention and and uh, recognition in the industry, and so just pushing every day to to bump that up past funding. It was it was a trip. <laughs> yeah, but, it was uh, very
1: it was humbling to see people support us and come out of the woodworks, and people get excited, and some some faithful backers who were very excited about it was really exciting to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, it it, it does give us kind of a, a second wind because we've been working on this project for months. Like it all, it was born. Basically in February, and uh, we've been trying to establish bite wing games long before that. But um, yeah, it's it's cool to see the enthusiasm that people have to be able to play these games. And when you get stuck in the weeds of of like logistics and and backers and funding and marketing, it's uh, it's easy to forget like why we're doing this, you know. And yeah, serious. But then like I even broke out soda smugglers and hot lead recently with some people who who wanted to try it out. And just getting those to the table and playing them, it's like, oh, okay, this is why we're doing this. Like, this is <laughs> this is great fun. So, yeah, I, I'm really excited to get these games out. And, uh, but it's it's also nice to kind of take a break from, from having to market games and <laughs> spread awareness because right now we're just we're focusing on making them for people who have, who have uh, backed them. And so that's kind of the theme of this uh, today's podcast episode where we're just gonna talk about some games we've been playing recently. I know on my end, I'm still doing you know, a monthly Candid Cardboard where I usually try to focus mostly on, on brand new games that I'm playing or games that have been released in the past couple years and that people might be interested in hearing about. But I've also been playing games that came out years and years ago and I, I don't really have any way to talk about them. Or at least the motivation to because it's like, well, this game is either out of print or everybody's already played it or nobody really cares. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to motivate myself to to write a long, you know, lengthy description of it and opinion and stuff. But but if we chat about it and, and uh, you know, some of these games are not out of print and so you can go out and buy them. And I there are some that I do highly recommend to people that we'll talk about today. And so hopefully people can find some hidden gems in our games that we discuss and so i believe we both have three games that we want to talk about is that true for you kyle that's true for me all right six total games we're going to chat up and let's have kyle start us off with one of the games he's been playing recently so two of my games
1: are a little bit newer not brand new but at least in the last few years so i'll start off with the one that's older and out of print is lost legacy okay Um, i've played two versions of that and this was actually a recommendation from shoe over at going analog i told my love love letter and he said well you should try out this uh going or sorry not going analog that's the name of the podcast uh you should try out lost legacy and so i told my wife about it and like that weekend was my birthday and so the day before my birthday i got a package in the mail and she's like don't open that that's for you but for me (laughs) anyway she bought me this game because i had just i had mentioned to her that someone recommended it for me so that's long story, um got lost legacy and and it's been really fun. We got two of the different versions of it, and it's been really fun to try them out um if you haven't haven't played lost Legacy or love Letter, they're just very simple eighteen cards in a deck um and that's the game is just these eighteen cards, and so you just have to use those cards trying to eliminate other players, be the last man standing. Um, and I absolutely love it. Like I said, Love Letter is been one of my, like, if anyone says, like, hey, what's, like, one of the best five-minute games? Love Letter. Like, so quick, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, I love Love Letter. Um, and I, I like the Lost Legacy. I, I think it's fun to have something different. If I had to pick, I would probably say I still prefer Love Letter. I, I like some mm-hmm. of the dynamics in that game. Mm-hmm. But I do like the variation that comes with some of these different versions of Lost Legacy so yeah, essentially you're just, you have cards 1 through 8, and some of them, there's multiple of, of some of the cards, since there's 18 cards in the deck. Um, I think there's 18, maybe there's 16, hopefully I don't misspeak, but um, anyway, um, so you just have these cards, you have one card in hand, you draw a card, and you choose one of them to lay and take that action, and it's it's a lot of fun to, to just kind of figure out what the other players are going to do, much like the uh, the Criminal Capers collection that we just put out, it's a lot of... It's less about what the cards are and more about what the other players are doing and if you can kind of read mm-hmm. their minds and, and discover what they're doing. Have nice. you played Lost
0: Legacy? No, I'm looking at pictures. There's okay. a, lot of, a lot of cards in Japanese text, so it's hard to get a feel <laughs> for it. My, um, ver-
1: my version has no Japanese text, just English. Okay, yeah. Um, well,
0: I also see there's like a million different versions of this when I just searched it on BoardGameGeek. What, what two versions did you say you have?
1: I have Flying Gardens and The Lost Starship.
0: Okay, well, I can go, on. okay, yeah, I see both these,
1: yep, and and, like I said, both very fun, very quick, they're five minute games, and you either are the last man standing, you eliminate the other players. Mm. If you've listened to anything that I've said before, I don't like player elimination games, I don't like if I'm out of the game, especially if it's like thirty, forty minutes, and I'm out of the game, I'm like, man, I hate games like this' like I don't want to sit there for half a game night not playing a game. Um, but games like this do a really good job where since it's five-minute rounds, you're in the round for two minutes, maybe you get out, and that's kind of the point of it, and then you get right back into the game the next round because you can just play a few rounds right in the row, just shuffle the 18 cards and deal one to each player, and you're going again. So, nice. um, so I really like the game. And, and The Lost Legacy, the neat thing that it does introduce, um, Love Letter is just if you're the last person standing or if you have the highest card in hand, Lost Legacy introduces a new investigation phase where whoever has the lowest card gets to guess where this Lost Legacy is. So there's one specific card that if you reveal that card at the end, then you win. Mm. So I could be holding this Lost Legacy in my hand, but you have the number one card and you lay the number one card at the end of the game, you say, hey, I'm going to guess that you have it in your hand. I lay it down. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I actually did have it, and you win the game even though I was holding it. Or Mm -hmm. if you knew where it was somewhere else, and there's a few cards left off to the side, if you know where it is on one of the cards left to the side, you still win that round for knowing where it is and and guessing before I do so. So it's pretty interesting. It adds a a unique kind of second phase of the game that still plays in about five minutes, but... um, but anyway, it's really really fun. So I I quite enjoyed both of those versions. I I don't really have a preference over them. More than anything, I'm like, oh, like I like I like these quick five minute games, eighteen eighteen card games. Um, and so it's fun to just have a different version of essentially the same thing.
0: Yeah, that is cool that you get basically a last ditch effort to uh-huh. to kind of flip the table and and turn the tide and win the game that way instead of being like, well, I have no way of getting the right card here. But yep. you have that that uh, ray of hope sounds like.
1: yep so as far as I know those are out of print but I found some used copies and and I think it's a really really fun game and a good alternative to love letter if you have that or if you just want a a little bit more of a space themed version
0: (laughs) that kind of reminds me of uh, a fake artist goes to New York where um, you know one player doesn't know what's going on and everyone else um, gets the topic card Mm-hmm. and they're drawing one line at a time and you pass this paper around that relates to the, the topic. And then at the end, people can be like, we think you're the, uh, the fake artist. And if they're right, then they're going to win. But if the fake artist, you know, if you, what you drew is too obvious and the fake artist guesses the exact topic or word that was, uh, you know, the, the focus of the round, then, then they flip the tables and win the game that way. And so, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I kind of like games that have a little twist like that, and that's, that's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty
1: fun. I think we just uh, discussed it for longer than the actual gameplay is, so that's how quick the game is.
0: <laughs> there we go, Lost Legacy. <laughs> cool, and is that is that something that, did Amanda have to, to find that like used or in secondhand market, or was it She new? found it
1: used. I'm not sure mm-hmm. where she did, and it's funny because I actually I had the cards and I played it with my siblings just the other day. And they're like, "Did you sleeve these cards? Because I don't sleeve cards. I usually kind of <laughs> tease people that do." And yeah. I, was, I was like, "No, I just bought it used, and they came sleeved, and nice. so I'll just kind of leave it." So they kind of, kind of teased me. They're okay. saying, "This is how we know you're deep into board games as you're sleeving your cards now."
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is with those games because it seems like every time I recommend Love Letter to somebody and I look it up online, it's out of, it's like out of print as well, or like hard mm-hmm. to find. <laughs> Because they're always doing new versions, but for some reason they're always sold out as well. But, oh, that's weird. Yeah, definitely good fun fun games and, and can uh, really kick things off or fill things in at a game night. That's great. So my first game that I wanted to talk about is, <laughs> surprise, surprise, it's a Reiner Knizia game. <laughs> <laughs> This is one that, uh, it's winner's circle. This is one that I've been waiting to acquire a copy of for a long time, actually probably a year maybe because the publisher that owns the rights to this game is dice tree games. They are a Korean publisher. And if you're not familiar with dice tree games, they do really fancy versions of of any game that they put out where usually it comes with metal coins and other fancy components and tokens and so, they they have the English rights to Winter Circle, and they've been printing a version of this game for a few years now. But they finally came out. You know, they were sold out for a while, and they finally did another print run. And I snagged a copy on Amazon before it sold out again. <laughs> but I do know they. Uh, I think they're planning to do another print run in 2022. So if this interests you, then I would suggest that you follow, subscribe to the Winter Circle. Board Game Geek page because people typically will, will put a post on there and you, you'll get a notification if you regularly check Board Game Geek um, that the game is back on Amazon and you can get it for like 50 or $60. But winter Circle is most comparable to Camel Up, actually. Hmm. And it's been around, I think, since around 2000. So it's been around for over 20 years. And this is a, a horse racing game where you're placing bets on horses as they race around there's probably there's eight horses total and they they start out you know in a line with each other or not like in the same so it's so one horse actually has an advantage the the horse in first because the the horse in the eighth horse is like eight spaces behind it right but anyways uh, what you do is you flip up eight cards and put them in the spaces of each corresponding horse and so you can see the horse's movement potential for that race. And you play the game in three races total. And the way this differs from Camel Up is that the game also comes with a, a die. And this die has uh, three faces, so half of, it's a six-sided die, so half the faces are like a horse's head. And then the other three faces are unique. It's like a saddle and a and I think a boot or a horseshoe or something and and something else. But anyways, um, there's these four symbols total correspond with what's on each horse's individual card. And basically, players take turns rolling the die, and whatever die result they get, they can apply that to whatever card is still face up. That hasn't been chosen yet in this leg of the race. And so if I roll the horse head, which I have a 50% chance of rolling, then I can choose one of the horses to be moved according to whatever its card says it moves when a horse head is rolled. And so the decision is basically... Um, each round, when it gets to your turn, I roll the die and see like, okay, do I want, you know, if, if this, there's a horse that I bet on, do I want to move it really far? Or that same roll can be really bad for another horse that I didn't bet on, but other people bet on. <laughs> and so I can, I can use the die roll on that horse's card. I flip it face down and now that horse doesn't get to move again. It only got to move one space cause it was the worst, you know, roll type for that horse, but I sabotaged it because I didn't bet on it. And uh, and now the players have to wait for all the horse cards to to take their movement before they all flip face up again. And then you keep rolling until three horses cross the finish line and, you know, they get payouts of first, second and third. And then the horse that's in last place pays out negative points for whoever bet on it. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting game. And I think it's held up really well. Honestly, I would say it's more strategic and kind of less uh, party ish and chaotic when you compare it to something like Camel Up. Um, it's definitely more cutthroat, I would say, too, because you, <laughs> at the start of each race, you see what the cards are, and, and you take turns, and you say, okay, what am I gonna place my bets on? And I think the best way to play it, there's different variants, but everybody has, there's one variant where everybody has four tokens. You have a zero, a one, a one, and a two, and these are your bets, and you place them face down one at a time onto, an, onto a horse as you go clockwise. And so I can place a, a bet face down on a horse, and maybe it's my two, which means that horse is going to pay out double at the end if it gets first, second, or third, or to play out double negative points if it ends in last. But nobody knows what I actually bet on it, so it could be my zero, and I could just be like pretending that I'm supporting this horse until a crucial moment in the game where people are depending on me to to uh, roll. You know, when I get a good roll to to move it really well, and then suddenly I sabotage it instead. And people realize, like, oh, that was your zero bet. <laughs> and uh, and so there's an element of bluffing to the bets as well. And I, I think it's a great time, honestly. It maybe goes a little bit too long. Uh, this game can go, like, 60 to 90 minutes for how, like, light it is. But it's, it's also very fun with the shared incentives and the backstabbing and kind of just the, the cheering the horses on. I think it's a great game.
1: What was the uh, production? Like, I'm looking at photos of it here on Board Game Geek, and some of them have, like, 3D miniatures, and others of them have kind of flat cardboard almost remember like candy land style
0: pieces <laughs> yeah this is the reason it's 50 to 60 dollars is because it comes with a a set of metal coins and i think they have reiner kinesia's face on them actually oh <laughs> really? really really great um i may be confusing that with another game that Dice Tree made but i think it's this one and then yeah it has those those colored like almost rubbery miniature horses mm. that look really nice and uh they have the numbers on, on the horses as well. So if you, you know, the the colors are kind of similar ish, but there's numbers on them too. So it's fairly easy to track which horse you're trying to move. So it's a really fancy production. I think it's a great gateway game, honestly. Like I've, I've taught it to people who don't play any games hardly at all, and they've had a great time with it. And so I think winner's circle is one to keep an eye on. If you like Rainer Kinesi games, if you like betting games, if you like camel up, this one's a little bit more strategic and thoughtful. And uh, but not quite as fast not quite as bombastic i don't think it has quite a ri- wide of a range of player count but uh, i like it a lot so
1: um, you haven't played long shot have you no no
0: that is what i'm interested in
1: because there's long shot the dice game that's coming out um, but the older version is long shot which i think that's kind of having read about it it seems like um, long shot the dice game was like hey we had this game long shot that was just a little bit too long, and we really crammed it down into shorter time and, and increased the good moment. So, I just wondered if this was kind of a similar thing if it was just a little bit too long, especially in the world of gaming now for, for what it is. If it's too long for,
0: yeah, I think it depends on who you play with, honestly. Yeah. Like the Board Game Geek says it's 45 to 60 minutes. So, if you play with people who are typically really fast, then yeah. I, I think you could knock it out in 45 minutes and do like 15 minutes of a race. But it seems like between the betting phase and then the racing phase and deciding what you're going to move. I, I think it does go longer than for us, at least than what you know. Yeah. Game Geek says, so. Yeah. Well, but it looks it's, like
1: a pretty fun game. It looks really cute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's still a good time. I do like it. I probably between you know round and kinesi betting games, I probably like Equinox <clears throat> a little bit more. But that's probably because it's just a little bit meaner. And uh, I don't know. I you know how I like the cold. That surprises games. me. You like a mean game. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought? So have there thought. you go. Winter nice. circle.
1: All right, on to game number two that I've been playing recently. This is a, a fairly newer one. I just got it um, from Kickstarter in the last few months, actually, so it's quite new. Um, Cascadia is the name of the game. Um, same creators as Calico, and they actually have a new game on Kickstarter that just started today. I actually already backed it because I was like, well, I liked Cascadia enough. I might as well back to their next one. Verdant, I think, is the name of it. I'm not sure, but... Um, Anyway, Cascadia is a really, really pretty, very fun game. I like the art in it a lot. I really, um, in the game, what you're doing is you are drafting both tiles and little wooden animals. um, Just like little wooden circle animals. And what you're doing is you're trying to get these animals that fit on these um, landscape tile hexagons that you're placing. And so you're creating your own little hexagon map or this territory region outline area. Um, and then you're placing the animals on the on their regions and and trying to score points based off of having large consecutive areas that are the same territory type or creating animals in certain patterns. Um, and I really, really, and I just enjoy puzzly games like that where I'm trying to find the best combinations of what animals to get and and how to how to score the most points in that way. Uh, it's a very fairly solitaire game. Um, you don't really have too much interaction with other players aside from, hey, you you drafted what I wanted to draft on my turn. Other than that, there's not not a ton of interaction. There's a little bit of competition mm-hmm. at the end. Whoever has the most of a certain region gets points, um, mm-hmm. gets more points than any other players. Um, so there's competition that way. But, but for the most part, it's a fairly solitaire, puzzly-type game. But that being said, I really enjoy it. Uh, my favorite aspect of the game is the drafting because since you are collecting or drafting both region tiles and the little animal tokens. Um, they're set up in a, in a line next to each other so there's four region tiles and four animal tokens And so when you take a certain region tile you take the associated animal token with it and so there's lots of times where you're like oh I want this animal but that tile and so you're really torn about when you take things and what you take and what's more important to you at the time um, And there's a few ways around that you can you can spend some unique tokens to, to break those rules that I really like, but I love that double draft mechanism where there's sometimes two things work out perfect for you, and that's great, but more often than not, you're like, oh, I wish I could separate those those drafts into two separate drafts, but you're really tying them together, and so so that drastically changes what you're able to pick, and anyway, very beautiful game, very fun, it's 45 minutes or so, and I just think it's a really good time, and, and for me, just kind of a fun way to, to push my brain and see if I can create the best combinations and try to do everything, but you can never do everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, I think if you've played any flat out games at this point, they, they do have a very consistent style. Yes, they um, do. Between this and, and even Verdant. I did watch the Kickstarter campaign video for that to get a feel for the game and, um, Calico and point salad. They're all, uh, drafting games that you're, you're collecting things and you're either arranging them or, just trying to make sets and uh obviously maximize your points out of it and uh yeah i I get the vibe from cascadia that this is a you know slightly more rules than than calico but less punishing um (laughs) because you're not constricted to a you know the quilt board and the very specific requirements that those have is that kind of your experience
1: yeah. Yep. I just played Calico once online, so I didn't quite get the tactile feel for it. But I I did play the game, and yeah, I would agree. You're not you're not bound by a board. You can spread out in any direction you want. It does take up a little bit of table space because of that. Um, each of you are building about twenty tiles on the board. Um, but yeah, it's it's fairly free in how you can do things, and you don't feel like you're stuck. You're like, oh, I got stuck in this corner. Like you can really spread out anywhere. Um, that right. being said, like like lots of these games, there is some definite luck in what tiles are drawn and when, and there's ways to manipulate that. But um, I know my brother. This last game, he's like, "This sucks. I'm not getting any good tiles," and it's hard. It's like, well, there's no like bad tiles, but for what he had, like, he just wasn't quite getting what he needed and what he planned on. And um, mm. so there's some luck of the draw there, and it's it's not a game that's like a straight strategy game. There's definitely some some luck because you are just drafting these things. But that being said. I think it's a really fun, enjoyable game. I think it's a great gateway, gateway style game. Um, rule set isn't too heavy. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's pretty light on like what you do. Um, my wife and I have chatted a lot about games where we like where your decision making is where to do things rather than what to do. Where some games, it's like you have these ten options of what you can do. This game is you draw a tile and you lay a tile. Hmm. And that, that's that's the whole game, like you're not making a decision of what you want to do on your turn, it's more where do you want to place this tile. And I really like that in a lot of games where I'm like, oh yeah, like this is fun that I don't have to think through 10 different steps and all the different alternatives of what I can do. It's all just about like, hey, like how can I maximize my points by where I play a tile?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a, a callback to classic Carcassonne where very simple yeah. rules and, and a simple setup, but there's... You know, there's a lot of things that can unfold depending on where you decide to place the tile. Yep, Carcassonne,
1: um, Azul, I feel like the same way about where it's like, it's not like you're just, there's nothing groundbreaking about each turn. Each turn's the exact same thing, <laughs> but each turn you're still making a difficult decision of where you place your tiles. And yeah, Carcassonne, Azul, Cascadia, I think those old games all do it really, really well with simple turns, but kind of complex decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, and we enjoyed calico we played it a few times i eventually sold it um and i I think it's a good game i think it has a broad appeal and i can see why people love it i know for me uh, although it does have that brain burning punishing feel to it um as far as trying to maximize your points i felt like i personally had found my optimal strategy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like even though it was hard to you know like it was stress on the brain to make it work out yeah, I uh, felt like the later plays kind of unfolded the same for me. And uh, so that's that's eventually why I passed it on to somebody else who was really excited to get it. But um, yeah, I think these are, you know, if you're interested in games with simple rules, but with spatial, you know, tile laying puzzling, you can't go wrong with any of these. And, uh, you know, this is a bit of a, a sneak peek plug here, but we we recently signed a contract with a popular designer for a game that, that really does kind of play within this same uh, spectrum of tiling, spatial puzzling in you know in simple rules, but with a lot of depth to, to how it can unfold and a quick play time. And so um, the thing that appealed, you know, I, I just said I got rid of calico and, and oftentimes with these games, like especially if they're low player interaction, I can find myself like losing interest over time. But I know with this game that that we plan to publish early next year, um, I feel like it has a little bit more flexibility to how things can unfold. Like, you're not totally victim to to what your options are. Yeah. And uh, probably a a higher skill ceiling as well, where you can plan out things, like, really, really far in advance if you want to. And you can push your luck. And uh, it kind of brings you know, if I'm really experienced at the game, I can really be trying to push my luck really hard to, to complete something amazing. And if it doesn't work out, then the person who's brand new to the game and who's, who's taking it a little less risk can end up still winning. And so I, I think, you know, there's some interesting twists to this. And I just like the style of, of spatial puzzling that, that this this game that we're teasing is. And so, yeah, I would say if, if these any of these games interest you, um, Verdant, has a similar style of drafting and it's on Kickstarter right now. You should check it out. Um, And Calico has been very popular. It's a very beautiful production. Cascadia looks fun. I'd I'd be interested to try it. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out for our next publication because we're going to be teasing it out once we have some art ready and it's going to be real exciting. Yes, it will be. So that's Cascadia. Awesome. All right. So, next game I want to talk about. I, I, sandwiched my least favorite game in the middle here because I, I didn't want to end on a negative note. That always just feels kind of downer style. And, um, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about at least. Um, and this game has been around a long time. So I'm, I feel like I'm not, you know, trying to put out the flame before it, before it comes out. And, um, this game is called Spirium. Have you heard of Spirium? Um, I heard about it when you texted me yesterday that this is what we were talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's it's more it's probably more well known. I mean, I hadn't heard of it before it was introduced to me and top to me. But it's a it's a worker placement game from 2013, so it's not too old. You know, just eight years, and uh, it's actually ranked in number 703 on BoardGameGeek and in the strategy section, it's in the top 500. So it's a fairly well known game. And, and well-liked. Um, and so I, I feel, you know, there, there are some interesting things to this game, but overall I feel like it hasn't aged very well. That's kind of mm-hmm. my takeaway, having played it only one time, so I, I have very surface experience with it. But um, Spirium is, uh, it says it's a steampunk game on online which I actually didn't know that at all (laughs) when we played the game. I I read that
1: and I instantly was I had steampunk like not at all. Like I would just never touch it really. Like it doesn't interest me. So I saw that. I was like, oh yeah, this game doesn't look great at steampunk. So that's (laughs) that's funny that you said you didn't even notice it was
0: Yeah, didn't even notice because you have like these little worker meeples and you're you're like hiring contractors or like you're you're working with these professional characters to like get bonuses from them. But you're also building out these buildings. And they just look like they honestly just look like Age of Industry style buildings, just like yeah, red, yeah, red brick. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like the artwork is one thing that definitely hasn't aged well, and it's kind of representative of of the game as a whole. Um, but the way the way the game works is you're playing six rounds total. In each round, you lay out, I believe it's nine cards. In a grid, so like a three by three grid. It could be a four by four. I could be wrong there.
1: Pictures are showing three by three, so I think you're right.
0: Okay, three by three. And uh, the interesting twist to this game compared to all other worker placement games, the thousands that exist, (laughs) is that instead of placing your workers on the cards or on action spaces or something like that, you're placing them in between the cards or the action spaces. Hmm. And. There are two phases to each round. The first phase, you're basically deciding where to position your workers one at a time. You go around and round, everybody's placing one out at a time. And in the second phase, you can move on to the second phase at any time. You can do it earlier than others. That's when you start to pull back workers. And that's when you can start to activate cards that are out there and just get its bonus. Or some cards you actually purchase and you steal away so that, you know, if, if I purchase a card and you had a guy next to it, well, suddenly that space next to him is useless. <laughs> so um, there is definitely some interaction there. Um, when you pull back a worker, you can also, instead of like activating a card or purchasing a card next to that worker, you can just simply select a card that's next to the worker and you count up how many other workers from yourself and other players are surrounding it. And that determines how much income you can make. And you just, take that much money. So if there's like a really popular card, you might be like, Oh, I want to sit my worker next to it. Cause I need some money and I'm going to pull it back as soon as possible to, uh, before other people pull theirs back and, and there's less earning potential there. And also the, the surrounding, uh, workers of a card determine it, it, they'll increase its cost. If you decide to purchase it, so you have to pay one extra per worker surrounding it, except the way it plays out is you just pay that extra to the bank. And so like, I might put a guy next to a card that I don't care for, but I think you're going to buy just to increase the cost of it for you by one, but it doesn't really help me out at all. And so I'd say that's the most interesting part of the game. That's something I haven't really seen before. Um, although a newer game I played, Cryo, does have work replacement as well, and it does have like spaces you can place, and then you can activate. You have a couple options of that's next to it of what you can choose to activate. And uh, so there's a little bit of similarity there, but this really leans into what Spirium does. And uh, honestly, (laughs) that's the most interesting part of the game, and I feel like everything else is just really bland, really generic. Like, it just shakes out to, you know, like, oh, if you activate this card, you'll get a couple Spirium. Or if you buy this card, you'll get a couple points, and uh, you can get an extra Spirium each round for the rest of the game. And Spirium are just, like, these gems that you can spend for more points or, or other things. And so the, the rest of it just kind of shakes out to like a very generic resource conversion for points kind of thing. and the, it ended interesting for us like after all six rounds and there was a point where like uh, Cami, my wife, was scoring immediate points during the game and she was maybe 20, 30 or 40 points ahead of me. <laughs> and so it looked like she was just killing us. Um, but I had a lot of end game points between the cards that I had bought. And so I actually closed that gap really quickly, and the game ended. We played with three of us, and, and Cammy and the other guy that was with us tied for second place, and then I had one more point ahead of them for first. <laughs> so it was very, very close. I think we all played very well, but at the end of the day, it just like, uh, it didn't like spark anything within me. And, and so I feel like, especially with, with Euros that are fairly abstract or worker placement games, games that, that have been that have mechanisms that have been used over and over and over and over again. They, they have an uphill battle to climb, at least to impress me because they're starting to feel very samey. And, uh, if, if the whole package doesn't come together in a really exciting way, then I just come away from it. Like, well, it was all right, but you know, we could have just played brass Birmingham instead and and <laughs> it would have been so good. So, you know, or, or even cryo, I, I would have preferred playing cryo that has a similar style. And, uh, you know, a, definitely a better production, but it's a brand new game and, and costs more. So it's, it's hard to compare in that sense. But there's Spirium.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because as you explained at first, I was like, oh, yeah, that actually sounds really intriguing how you place the workers and, and getting the coins. And not that I fully fully grasp everything, but, but there's a lot of interesting sounding things. So it's almost too bad to hear that that for you it didn't quite come together because I liked a lot of the, the sounds of those things.
0: Yeah, and you you may like this game. I mean, it's got a seven point one on Board Game Geek. I think there are a lot of people mm-hmm. that do enjoy this game, but for me, it's it's there's so many games of this style out there, and I have so little time to to be able to play them that it just feels like too much of a missed opportunity when I could have been playing, in my opinion, just a more a tighter package of a game with the same time that is so rare and, and precious to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I don't have as much experience with worker placement. My wife doesn't love worker placement games typically, so I haven't honestly played that many of them. Um, so sure. I, I probably would be pretty content playing it, I would imagine, with, with having yep. not had as much experience. So if the opportunity presents itself, I'll have to check it out. Cool, cool all right well let me move on to my game number three um saved the best for last in my oh, opinion yeah. um so this is one that i got at your recommendation um you'd mentioned it quite a bit you and cammy had played it um which i'm surprised you have it's it's by some designer you've never heard of reiner canizia is his mm. name you only have what 30 of his games 40 of his games <laughs> no um, i think he's
0: an up and coming designer. <laughs> That's what I've been told.
1: So Reiner Canizia is my city. I've um, never played a legacy game, and I've had some interest, but just knowing I don't have a consistent group I play games with, I do a lot with my siblings and my wife, um, and my wife doesn't have much of an interest in legacy games. Um, I feel like I'm saying a lot of the things my wife doesn't like, and, and like I'm speaking negatively <laughs> of her, but I don't feel she loves She loves playing games, and we love playing games together, but... Um, just knowing us, we don't always want to play the same game over and over and over again. And a yeah. and legacy game was just something we're like, yeah, I don't know if that'll happen. So, when my city came out and you talked about, it, I was like, you know, I think this is something we could do. It's over twenty four episodes, but you can play three episodes per thing. So I'm like, yeah, if totally. we're looking at, if we're looking at six to eight times of playing the game, um, I think that should be right up our alley. And so we've we've just played two sessions of it so far, and man, we love it. Like it is just <laughs> so, so <good>. fun. <laughs> And again, I, I feel bad I'm, I'm picking a lot of more solitaire-type games today because Cascadia has a similar feel, in my view, as you're, you're, you're laying tiles out and, and you're kind of creating your own board. Your interaction between each other isn't huge. It isn't the fact that you're comparing endgame scores, but separate boards, you're kind of separately laying your own tiles. You could almost do it without looking at the other player's board until the very end. Right. But that being said, I really feel like it highlights what we had just talked about where, like, man, your turn is simple. You flip a card and you lay that tile, but where you lay that tile, man, there's, I don't really feel like I have analysis paralysis too often, but in that game, there's sometimes where I just feel like stressed out of my mind, where I'm like, do I discard this one, and I skip this round, or do I lay it in a spot that's not ideal, what if I never see this card that I really need, and I just feel like as we've played these six episodes, things have just gotten tighter and tighter already, and mm-hmm. I'm like, we're only a fourth of the way through the game, like, What are we going to do as the game keeps going? Because I know we're probably going to add more tiles. The game's going to get tighter. The decision-making's going to get more intense. But man, in these first... I've already just like instantly fallen in love with this. And I'm already like, okay, I need to give this to my brother when I'm all done so he can try it out because he and his wife will love it. And I just think it's an awesome, awesome game. So I've been very, very thrilled with with what it is. And I don't feel... Having not played any other Legacy games, I do feel like this is a little bit unique in a sense where I'm like... I'm not having to take a picture when I'm all said and done. I don't have to make sure the setup's perfect. Like The setup is faster than most other games are traditionally without having to right. remember where things are and, and look at an old picture or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, that warms my heart. You know, I've, I've said, it, <laughs> said it before and I'll say it again. I think My City is the best polyomino game out there and I think it's the best legacy game out there because it, it uh, eliminates so many of the issues of legacy games that crop up, at least from my experience and it uh, really leans into the most interesting parts. And I know some people will strongly disagree with me because there's, there's very little story or uh, narrative that, that follows, which is a very strong part of many legacy games. But the, the thing that I love about a good legacy game is, is when you grow attached to whatever is unfolding. And this game gives you your own personal city with, with your failures and with your triumphs. And it also, if you're, if you're just crushing people from one round to the next, it makes your board harder than theirs (laughs) and it kind of balances the scales in, in a really, uh, subtle, but, but effective way to where, you know, things can stay pretty competitive as long as people are are relatively similar in skill level. And, uh, yeah, the, that's, I think that's the way to, you know, like I, I talked about how Calico Kind of, I I lost interest because I I felt like I, there was nothing new for me to unscout discover or develop personally in my strategy or skill. My city keeps you on your toes every single game. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, each individual game, even like the way the cards come out, as you said, like you'll be thinking, oh shoot, what if this tile is the next one to come out after this, and I'm I'm gonna want to put it in this spot that I'm wanting to put this current one in, and I'm gonna regret it forever, and. Uh, and then I put it there, and sure enough, the next card that comes out is the one that I should have put there. <laughs> and uh, there's just, like, so much regret. And as you say, like, you overanalyze things like that. Um, but it's, you know, rules-wise, such a simple game and with a lot of tension. And and that's something that I feel a lot of solitaire games uh, lack is the tension. But this game's got it in spades. <laughs> yeah.
1: I hadn't ever really had thought about it in that way because we're comparing it to Calico and Cascadia because it is a, a tile-laying game and kind of trying to maximize things. And it does remind me a lot of that button game. Because I think that, I'm like, you know, Cascadia, maybe I'll, I'm going to play it 8 to 10 times and then I'll probably feel like, you know, I've kind of discovered what I'm going to discover and I feel satisfied, similar to what you've said with Calico. And I feel like... The the brilliance of My City is that it's almost doing the same thing and it's saying, you know what, you're gonna get eight plays or ten or twelve, or how many however many sessions you decide to play it over. You're gonna get these many experiences and then you'll you'll be done with the game at that point, but it's like every game isn't the same. It's almost the same, but it adds one or two more little variants to it, and so it just kinda it, it deepens the game each time you play it. And I don't know if you could go back and re-experience it. It's it's almost like, hey, you've done it and you've done it. Um, but man, I think I'm going to play this game as much as some of these other games, but this game is going to keep adding on slight layers as I go rather than feeling a little bit the same each time I play it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's, oh, it's so good. There, there is like a, um, what is it called? The eternal mode or whatever that you can play on the Mm -hmm. backside of the boards. And, and so maybe we'll, we'll go back and and visit that and try it out sometime. But, um, you know, you know how I am on new Canizia games and our recent, podcast interview i asked him about it and it sounds like he's cooking up something new yeah which i'm already excited for (laughs) yeah and he promises it'll be different because he you know he doesn't have much interest in just rehashing the exact same thing he wants to add a twist to the entire base formula so it'll be interesting to see what he cooks up but i will be there at the moment it hits stores (laughs) Yeah, the Great last choice. thing I was
1: last thing I was gonna say about it was just from like a design standpoint. Like, rather than just like a consumer, hey, this is a fun game. I look at the game and I'm like, man, like how you how you designed this, and it's almost more like video games where like, hey, you start off and they have a tutorial about how to play. That's almost what this game feels like. It's like, hey, the first few rounds, it's bare bones, like super easy. Like, yeah, you're just playing <laughs> these tiles. But as it goes, you're like, oh, I figured out all the controls. I know what I'm doing now. But you're like, oh, but this is tough. Um, and like, just like how the, how the polyominoes fit on the board and the spaces where you're like, Oh, this is almost going to fit perfect, but it's just barely the wrong way. And I'm like, man, he designed this perfectly. We're like, this like this feeling like this tantalizing feeling where you always just want like one more little thing and you want to twist a piece away. It doesn't twist. And man, I I think as far as a design standpoint, this is one of the most brilliantly designed games I've ever played.
0: Yeah. Reiner ceases never ceases to blow my mind. So (laughs) this is a great pick. And, uh, yeah, I I could talk about my city for days, but we should probably move on to the last one, which is not a Kinesia game. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) this one, although it it does have a lot in common with the criminal capers collection that we just, uh, finished on Kickstarter. It is a quick 20, 30 minute game, very simple rules, a good amount of player interaction and, and, uh, yeah, I think you know this is one of the games that paved the way for me personally to to get excited about the, the Criminal Capers Collection because I played it with a, a variety of people and had a great time with every group I've shown it to, and whether they're hardcore gamers or not. And uh, this game is called Parade. Have you heard of Parade?
1: I had not heard of it, but I see it's set in the world of Alice in Wonderland, which I think is fun
0: yeah yeah so I guess apparently uh, Z-man games I believe did a collection of of small box card games only a few years ago with like really nice artwork, really nice presentation, just some they they dug up some solid card games that have been around and uh, gave people some some really nice additions to their collection. And so I had heard about this game through, through Quinn's of shut up and sit down. I think when he did a, uh, <laughs> when he did a video of his own board game collection, I saw parade shitting, uh, sitting on his shelf. <laughs> and, uh, I was I like, what that's is this game? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully not. And, uh, I saw that game on his shelf, as well as Archaeology, which was a, a new expedition, Archaeology New Expedition, was another card game, and I was like, how come I've never heard him talk about these games, or never heard about these games in general? And I looked them up, and I was instantly, when I learned how they played, I was instantly intrigued, because they they fit into the same Z-Man collection as Arboretum, which yeah. is uh, another game I'm a big fan of, and uh, in the player interaction and the simplicity and the tension it provides. So Parade is a game where there are, I think, six different colors, and maybe there's eight. See.
1: Yeah, it says there's six.
0: Six. I, so six colors. They go from one to ten, and so you have 60 cards total. And everybody has a hand of cards, and there's also a line of cards coming away from the deck, and this forms the Parade. Okay? Okay. And so on your turn, you're gonna pick a card from your hand and lay it at the back or the end of the parade. And then if I lay, pretend I lay a four, then what I'm gonna do is count from the end of the parade four cards in from where I just placed. So I'll go one, two, three, four. Those cards are all safe. I don't have to worry about those. But the rest of the cards leading up to the deck, I may have to take and put in front of me which is a bad thing because in this game cards that are collected in front of you count as essentially negative points at the end of the game and whoever has or they count as positive points whatever. whoever has the least points wins the game at the end and the cards you have to take are either going to be cards that are the same color as what you played or equal to or lower than the number that you played Mm -hmm. and so the catch is like if I play a nine I can count in nine cards that I'm safe that I don't have to worry about and at that point You know, there may only be seven cards in the parade, so I don't have to take anything. So playing a high number is great because usually you just dodge having to worry about taking any cards at all. Um, But if I play a one, then I only have to take cards that are ones or zeros or the same color as what I played. And so if in that whole line, if there's nothing of the same color, I can play a lower card. And if no other cards are equal or lower number and nothing's the same color, then I don't have to take any cards that way. And, uh, whereas like if I play a higher number, I have to take everything that's lower than it. As soon as you run out of cards that you've counted backwards. So it's just a weird, uh, game. That's unlike anything I've ever played. And the the rule that I think makes it really shine is at the end of the game, you have these cards of each color that you've collected in front of you that are going to ding you for points and that you're competing to have the least of, but for each color that you have the most of, So if I have more greens than anyone else, more green cards, then I get to flip those face down and then those count as one point each instead of their face value, which is one through 10. (laughs) So then at some point during the game, if I have a few green and I see that you have two or three green as well, I might realize like some of these green are going to cost me six plus four points. These is adding up quickly. But if I have more green than you, then each card is only one point. And, uh, and so then we start competing to have the most green at that point. And at the end of the game as well, you're going to add two cards from your hand secretly to whatever you have in your tra- tableau to try to push you over the edge or, or uh, push you beyond a tie. Actually, if the ties are good, I mean, you can both flip them down if they're good. But um, you can really get nailed if, if somebody plays double blacks and and they exceed you in black at the very end of the game, for example. So. It's a, it's a nice little crunchy, fun, interactive game, I think.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It does have, just you explaining, it, it has some things that sound a little bit like Arboretum, which I absolutely love. Um, and I really like the artwork on it. It looks like, did they have an older version that just had numbers instead of any kind of artwork or theme to them?
0: That's likely true. I mean the the box that I think you can still find in online is the purple box with the Cheshire Cat, and it's it's a very very nice looking game. The card backs are gorgeous. They have a purple design to them as well, with like kind of that old school fancy Victorian design on them.
1: Yeah, I think they look stunning. Like I really really just just looking at the game, um, hearing you explain it a little bit. But like I look at the game, I'm like, whoa, yeah, I'd like to play that one. That looks awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it honestly, I feel like at least subconsciously but probably even stronger than that this game has played some inspiration in like how we've designed the criminal capers collection cuz similarly the way Paul has done the card backs for uh you know Hot Lead and Puma Fiosi there's a lot of detail and and kind of fancy design on the card backs just to show like hey this is more than just like the name of the game on the back with just a solid color and just kind of lazy production but there's there's actually a lot of love put into the art and so maybe there's more to the game as well yeah so yeah i i do recommend i highly recommend parade to any who are interested i i think it's a blast every time we break it out it is one like arboretum though that like although it's the box says like 30 or 45 minutes or whatever it can often take longer than what the box says because when it gets around to your turn you're looking at your whole hand and saying like okay if i play this this seven and then you have to count In your mind, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, then I have to take these cards because they're the same color or lower. And so you kind of have to go through the motions each time it's your turn to to figure out the optimal play. But even then, it's a great time. I think it's a really fantastic card game.
1: Well, that sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, there we have it. Six games that we've been playing recently. Um, Many that we, we strongly recommend. And if these interest you, I do recommend you check them out. Uh, Hopefully you can find some that are reasonably priced. If not, just be patient. Um, There are ways to get used games on BoardGameGeek. It's maybe the best. They have a geek market is what it's called. And you can get a game for a used game. Usually these are in great condition, you know, and uh, for like reasonable price, unless it's really in high demand, then people overprice it and that's always rude. But um, (laughs) best of luck to those who are interested in acquiring any of these. And that is all we have for today. Anything else you wanted to share, Kyle, before we finish it off? That's it for me. Go play some games. Let's go. Until next time, my name is Nick Murray. And, Kyle, thank you for joining again the the podcast. It was great just chatting away. Always fun to chat. (laughs) And this is the ByteWing Games Podcast.